something that we both believe in, that doing nothing yeah. is a problem. Like I can't handle people who just say, not my problem, I'm not gonna do anything. Oh my God, your life has no relevance. You're taking up space on the planet. Yeah, that's the unforgivable sin in my mind. Hey there, if you've joined the podcast today, my name is Chris Jarvis. I work with companies on employee giving and volunteering programs. And my name's Jake McIsaac. I spend a lot of time thinking about public safety and restorative justice. So we are having conversations here that we've been having for 20 years. Yeah, the only difference now is we press record and share it with you. Thanks for joining us. On this episode, we step past the tangled politics used by powerful people to excuse oppression we consider the most impacted people who each possess profound value, regardless of their identity. Yeah, so throughout human history, right up to the current events happening in Palestine today, there's a bunch of global questions about who's responsible for the suffering. And some of that responsibility is borne by some people more than others, but the system just keeps going forward. It's the reckoning that occurs in our conscience when we encounter the face of injustice. It's the groups that benefit from the status quo. So when politics fails morality, how can any of us take a principled stand against violence targeting any vulnerable group while implicated in the very systems that enable it? Join us today. We're going to take a deep dive into a very complicated, horrible topic. I've been thinking a lot of since our last podcast when we talked about Israel, Palestine. Uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, we recorded mid November, but it's the, it's the podcast that went up just prior to this one. Yeah. And some of the podcasts have been uh, all over the place in terms of recording and releasing later, but I thought it was really right. important. And we both agreed that it's important to have a really close follow-up between these two podcasts. Uh, because while we recorded that months ago, uh, it's still very much an ongoing um, issue and, and thought for us. Yeah, so there's three months between that recording and this recording, and it's. I th we thought it'd be interesting to sort of take stock of our own experiences between those time periods. Yeah, um, I uh, had a friend. Now, if they're listening, uh, they will know who they are, and so this is how their voice sounds to me. Um, so they're probably oh. unhelpful, but, or I'll be in trouble, but it was like this, Ugh. I was like, what's going on? I got to get to the gym. It's like, all right, I got to get to the gym before all the one monthers get there. It's January, all this new year, new me stuff. I can't wait for things to get back to normal. And I was like, oh, that's a little judgy. Um, yeah. you know, really banking that people will, will give up. People will look away. People will not carry through on their commitments. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that in terms of our focus and looking toward the conflict where people are just saying, Can, can't we just get back to normal? It's really, oh, it's yeah. really, really I, hard I mean, to look at. You know, there's outrage on both sides. There's outrage that um, what was done with uh, to Israelis. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was this outrage that has been there for a long time. Uh, but what uh, the uh, Zionist governments of Israel have done to the uh, Palestinians. But it was definitely a flashpoint. Uh, and it was huge. And it was all over the news. And it was everywhere. And it was the only thing seemingly discussed. And now this many months later, you know, where where is the outrage? Because um, the horror is just 
growing. There is something with those alerts, right? It's alert or alarmist in, in some ways when you get that, you know, breaking news, beep, 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 beep. We interrupt right. whatever you're doing to bring you this yeah. thing. And then yeah. it lands like a, what am I supposed to do with this? And they information download. Yep. And then they're like, okay, we'll get you back to your regular, regularly scheduled That's right. programming. And That's right. And That's it, it right. kind of leaves us... Um, how do you actually do that in real life? It's great for programmers on television to do that and traditional media sources. How, how, how do you, you or mean should we? To create personal alerts? Yeah. So that there's an interesting, uh, and I hope to remember to put this in the show notes, but there's an interesting bias that allows us um, to only, we notice all humans are this way. We only notice what's new <laughs> in the world and our assessment is threat or benefit. Once we sort of see it enough times to just understand that it belongs or it's this or it's that, and we sort of as assign it some kind mm -hmm. of meaning, once we've categorized it, it becomes part of the white noise in the background, unless it's part of our identity, and then we'll continue to see it and notice it. But we that's the only way that we can survive in a world with so much communication coming at us all the time I wonder, is this evolutionary dynamic. I wonder when you're talking about that white noise, is that so that we can just, it, it helps us regulate that again, because we'll always be on high alert trying to sense me. Okay. I know what that right. is. I don't actually have to think about that. That is now in the right. background, not right. drawing on important resources to do that. First thing right. that you said, um, are you a helper? Or are you going to hurt me? Threats, threat cues, constant threat or benefit. Scanning. Yeah. So it's looking away once we realize it's no threat to us. So it's no threat to my everyday. It's probably really awful for folks and who are who are there, obviously, and then who are tangentially connected. Those are my family. That's my that's my group. Those are my people. But if we're a few steps removed, it starts to white noise. Right. And I wonder why. Evolutionary biology would suggest that only uh, that our in-group is our blood ties or what mm -hmm. we would mm -hmm. understand that to be uh, DNA or associated related DNA, right? right. Uh, but we had to extend that because there are other families involved and their families are part of our families through marriage. So we need to make sure that that family is going to be okay. And this becomes a little tribe and then tribe expands a little bit more and then but humans can kind of organize around the strangest thing. The, the, the biggest extension used today in geopolitical situations is the nation state. Yeah. So it's our willingness to, as a group, believe there is such a thing called Canada with a line across the world here, there, and other places. And I'm a Canadian. And then that identity tells me how to think about things in the world. So that if something happens to a Canadian... I have an evolutionary wiring that can pick up and go, ah, that's me. Right. I feel that. And my, my reaction is I must stop the pain. I must intervene or I must stop the pain. I must look away because I don't have agency. Right. So if I lack agency, I will look away or if I think I lack agency, but I'm going to stop the pain one way or another. And so I think that's where this whole thing comes from with who do we care about? Who don't we care about? There's a bit of a time, uh, like yeah. a life life expectancy on caring too. It's sad. It is sad to see in myself, Jake. And I think that's why I wanted to talk about it because we were talking about it as 
quite recent and big and affecting us in this pre the episode previous to this one. But now I can go whole days without thinking about it. Right. That's exactly it. We have done that on different uh, topics throughout the last three seasons. We talked about Russia, Ukraine. We talked about yeah. the, yes. the plight of our unhoused neighbors, the legislation of, of anti-choice folks that that, that took away abortion rights in the U.S. Like we've we've talked about different things, and it's urgent, and it's on fire, and we're talking. And then a little while later, we're to your point, we're not even thinking about it. When we go back right. to it, we can harness that energy again and get angry and and want to do something about it. But I, I wonder about the staying power of that. I had a guy last week who was talking, and I didn't pick up on it because I took it for what I think was just happening in the background. But he was trying to tell me about a reference point. He's like, you know, like when, like, like, uh, like a Black Lives Matter a few years ago. You remember that? And um, and kept moving in the conversation. I was like, oh, right, I, I remember that one day. You know, and there is this moment where we ni nicely compartmentalize these struggles or these call to action. You know, it's Black Lives Matter, then it's climate change, then it's what, like, what's next? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And because you do, you do get tired thinking about, I, I, I've only got so much energy right. to spend feeling compassionate, sympathetic, or caring for those people in those situations in that part of the world, in that context. I mean... I get tired. Uh, obviously, I mean, because literally, I mean, the physics of it is, or the biology of it is that we are burning calories, like a lot of calories. Uh, and you're maybe trying to grow new neural pathways to think about the stuff and think about it and, and adapt to it. And that's painful too. When, nobody wants to change their mind, literally. The body doesn't want to either. So you're, you do a lot of work with corporations who must be constantly thinking about this, like not... Wanting, I assume, I don't do this work, so I'll test this out uh, with you, is it must be difficult for folks to find the thing if they don't actually have it. So if they, if it's not internal, if they don't have a passion for something, then you could probably mm -hmm. pay, play whack-a-mole on the, the hot button issue. Well, today yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. is that okay? Is that just sort of a... Are people well, just working out their... their corporate social responsibility what's happening in those kind of yeah no you, i mean you raise a really good point that i hadn't actually considered before companies often pivot or right. shift their focus from one social issue to a next right or or, or they can say right, next five years we're going to focus on stem which is science technology engineering and math right but even within that we're going to have this partner for this period of time around this project. And then we're doing this project over there. And, and the reason they tell themselves that they need that is because novelty catches attention. Like when you talk about it, if I, if, if for right. five years, IBM talked about the same thing and, and a 2% increase, which could be significant, amazing impact for hundreds of thousands around the world, but 2% change year over year, just like, oh, that's really boring. So they they need something that's going to catch our attention. Like I said, it's either going to be a threat or a benefit that's going to catch our attention. So they keep needing to do this also to get the attention of their own employees, because unless it is internalized in some way, uh, if it's external, it, it will always be that 
newness quality in order to get anybody to notice it in the first place. Yeah. I kind of knew all that, but I hadn't connected those dots so directly. So yeah, it's great. I'm thinking about when we used to do street walks and we would go and walk around the downtown of Halifax prior to Sunday suppers. Um, Do you remember what I wore every week? Uh, There there was a t-shirt. I wore a Superman t-shirt every week. I only remember the winter being for like jackets and stuff. I don't remember anything from the summer. It was a mindset. No, no. Every summer, every, every Friday, every Friday, it was one of the things that I did because I thought about it in terms of justice. What was a t-shirt? A Superman t-shirt, like the Justice League. And this this sense of I do remember there now. We oh my go. gosh! Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? yeah. I do remember because we did talk about this. So yeah, yeah. For, okay, okay, this is great. For this me, version. that Justice League idea has been the the glue on a whole bunch of different things. It's not so much the issue, but the the what's behind it. People are hurting. This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. Uh, I have a belief that um, people should be well and whole and be able to be. The, um, respected and cared for, and that the good, just relations in the world are are what we should be establishing with one another. Which I think right. then becomes how the expansion of my in group beyond just my DNA. So who mm. who gets to become part of this group is that this firm mm. belief that I think that right should be done. Like I think people, we should do right by one another. So if if there's a call to action and there's a injustice, I'm kind of going to lean in. If it's just about something where I can't see that justice node, I'm less likely to get involved. I wonder if there's a corporate version of that, helping them find their justice leg moment, helping them find their t-shirt. So it doesn't actually matter what the issue is, so long as you're you're consistent with who you are, your identity, or you want to be in the world. This is a great way to bring in what we were talking about before we started recording, which is, um, so uh, Tony Robbins, anybody yeah. who knows, yeah. okay, everybody knows. <laughs> Everyone knows Tony. One of the, yeah, right, like Coca-Cola, Tony Robbins, everybody knows these brands. So Tony Robbins, uh, for since the 80s, when he was doing it in, in the basement of hotels, like really <laughs> cheesy, is this, um, what would you call him? He's not a self-help guy. In fact, he said some things about mental health that I thought, oh, Tony, wrong. But um what was he uh i don't i don't uh, know how you motivation he's a motivational speaker, I, guess. I guess yeah motivational speaker okay but the thing about him and this is what jake and i were talking about is where i love to say there is a piece of research done in 1979 by green and leper called how to turn play into work and it looked at yada 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 i love that stuff because i feel like i need a credential what i'm about to say Tony has no problem. Tony will just say, hey, here's an experience that we've all had, right? Have you had it? He'll set it up. And I'm like, yeah, I've had that experience. Then he'll say the thing. And I'll think that makes a lot of sense. Or he'll reference his own life. But it's he's very experience referential. It doesn't right. matter because he's right. So as he's going along, I'm like, Tony, where's this coming? Oh, okay. That's social identity theory. That's really great. So one of the things that he talks about is how we as human beings are absolutely obsessed with ourselves and with our identity here's who i am right we come in the world with nothing and we're given a box of identity items your name your gender your faith where you live when 
like space time. Mm -hmm. You're told when space time is because if you just showed up on the planet, would it be 2024? Nope. It would just be now. Like right. even our constructs of time and space, we're given all of this. And then we're given symbolic language, the ability to talk to each other and think about what a ball is. And all this amazing evolutionary ability is filled in by the humans around us and our own experience of the world. Um, spatial experiences, time experience, consequence experiences. All of this stuff is happening to us and we assemble it all. And at some point, we think this is what it means to be Jake McIsaac. This mm -hmm. is Jake McIsaac. Mm -hmm. And then somebody comes along and says, Jake, Jake McIsaac, you are a procrastinator. Get your stuff in on time. And Jake, that, that would be absolutely true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, man. My friend, oh, Mo man, I'm a procrastinator. I'm a procrastinator. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, and then, oh, sorry, but swearing. And then, so something comes <laughs> along. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do it. You know why? Because I'm a procrastinator. And you tell yourself this story over and over. And you, you start to believe the narratives that are built on the things that you were given. And this becomes your identity. And you will fight to the death for your identity, even though you, none of us intentionally built any of it. It's just sort of a cobbled together bunch of stuff. Um, but at some point as an adult, we have the opportunity to take the reins here. And so this is where I'm getting with all of this, we are obsessed with our identity and we have an idea that we tell ourselves and we reinforce it with the stories that we tell ourselves. So if it is too painful to see something in one part of the world and I need to look away, one, because they're not my in-group, they're my out-group, I don't really share enough affinity. So they're not Canadian. It's not happening to another Canadian or another guy or another somebody like me. There's not enough affinity where I think that's them, not me. And I turn away and I tell myself what? I'm not them. Right. I'm not them. 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 And we do that to sort of assuage, if I'm using that word correctly, or soothe or or calm our feelings, because we have a sense of what it means to be in solidarity as a human right. being. And this takes us to a place where we can, without any intention, without any conscious thought whatsoever, we just put them in a category that's not me. And that category also weirdly is labeled not human. Because if you're not me, if you're not in my in-group, I have the ability to dehumanize it. I rationally know they're human beings. I'm not a, I haven't lost my mind. But it also allows me to be okay with a lot of things that I would never be okay with if they happened to me or my kids or like you were saying about justice. So right. identity is the one thing, and this is what Tony uh, is going on about. Identity is the one thing that we, if we, it is based on the stories we tell ourselves, we have agency to tell ourselves different stories. If we tell ourselves stories where we might include the other, then we may find ourselves looking at a different range of op options. We might find ourselves being less willing to dehumanize people just to make it through the day. Yeah, I, it's funny. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about those uh, TikTok videos that that sometimes come up showing people getting hurt and they try to do it in a funny way where you're watching someone skateboard and they don't quite land it. And there's, Oh, you recoil. And oh, I watch that guy too. It is usually an engineering or construction scene and there's concrete everywhere. And he goes, yeah. And, but yeah, you, you, you can almost feel it in your body. 
right? You can yes. feel it like it's yes. uh, your foot or your ankle being broken. Yes. Or Absolutely. So there is this tide that when we imagine it's us in that moment, yes. or yes. we can imagine what that is for another person, it's, it's um, painful. So it's not that we can't mm -hmm. figure out what it is. It's that we don't mm -hmm. allow our minds to go there. But when we think mm -hmm. it's funny and we think it's like, oh, it's just momentary like pain, mm -hmm. I could probably do that. I can watch a few of those videos, even though I know uh, it's going to make me feel queasy. It's, mm -hmm. Someone's going to get it, you know, uh, get injured here and mm -hmm. it's going to sort of uh, manifest itself for a moment, just a fraction mm -hmm. in my own body, mm -hmm. even though there's no real reason for that to happen other than my brain. Mm -hmm. Just well, even the even the ability to find the unexpected result humorous. That's I mean, comedy is based on that. But if you kept yeah. watching this person get hurt, at some point you're like, "What is going on? Stop! Like, just somebody needs to stop this from happening." It goes from, "Oh, this isn't a joke," to something that's that we. It I think we switch over pretty fast. We ho I hope. We we would hope in that until there you go until we get unless I'm told yes okay if the premise if if it's been framed that the clown will like uh, Laurel and Hardy I don't know how many many people in our audience oh, know this wow. historical ancient reference Laurel and Hardy wow. uh, to uh, slapstick you know physical comedians with it show notes you know, buddy show notes. <laughs> swinging the ladder around, hitting the other person, keeps happening over. But we're told what? Frame that in the sense of this is on purpose and it's for comedic relief because it is kind of humorous to go, oh, I didn't expect that. You know, that's the verbal comedy or visual mm -hmm. comedy. Um, and I, I, don't, I can't explain comedy, but there's a quality to that that if it's framed, it's okay. But in real life, that would, I don't, I don't think most people would find that kind of thing, if they thought it was intentional, humorous, it, it has to do with the framing, I would assume. Yeah, I think I think the framing is important because you can anticipate a particular outcome and then you before it happens, you you decide that it's going to be right. funny, right? It's the banana peel right. on the floor at the bottom of the stairs. That's right. Oh my gosh, it's going to be great. Unless mm -hmm. you actually mm -hmm. saw a banana peel at the bottom of the stairs in your real life, you'd go, I should clean that up because someone could get really hurt. Yeah, I should do See, something two... about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And we we do the same thing in degrees, this framing. Uh, and you already touched on it. If we can imagine the mind of the other, what would it be like to live in Palestine mm. where uh, just to catch everybody up between 48 and 67, 70% of the people who live there are refugees from wars. So their whole life was wiped out and they were relocated there. Youth unemployment is at 77%. There's nothing to do. Electricity is only available for maybe six hours a day. Before any of this, that was, it would, they were rationed water. They were rationed electricity. Most people, 25% had a future. Most people were just like nothing. There's, and then uh, most people struggle with dehydration as well uh, due to this limited amount. I think it was just a couple of liters per person per day. So wow. the entire population is dehydrated and anxiety uh, filled. So if I can imagine, if I can free myself to up to imagine 
a name, a place, uh, a routine I, where I work or, or my skill, but I have no place to work. Like if somebody could kind of guide me through that to imagine myself in that situation, ask me questions and what would I do in that situation? That is what is needed to trigger the visualization or mentalization that can trigger the empathy and potentially move them into my in-group if I can see enough affinity between me and them. And that's a hard work. Because without that, we have evolved to protect ourselves from this kind of pain. Mm -hmm. And also to be able to inflict this kind of pain on other populations. Human Humanity is rife with genocide. In order to carry out that level of um, uh, inhumane treatment for another person, we have to believe they're monsters. We have to dehumanize them so profoundly. Or if we can't dehumanize them, demonstrate their risk to who uh, to our humanity that their ongoing presence if i can't dehumanize you then i have to make sure that you present such a threat that the only uh, ability to do anything with that tension is to take out the threat so that i can be okay so i can protect the yep. rest of my in group there there can't there yep. can only be those two responses in 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 many yep. ways um and what you i think what you're asking is is there a is there a third runway or, or what? Like, are you calling for bystanders? Like, it feels like a bystander moment. Like, what do the rest bystander of us do? Bystander effect would be all of us saying somebody's going to do something. Right. So some of that is at play, right? And that is at play because of our limited sense of agency based on the identity we've given ourselves. If I'm a police officer standing there, I'm probably not going to be affected by bystander effect because I was trained with agency to step in a situation like this. But I don't think we're talking about bystander effect as the, the driving factor. 95% of the world has a self-serving bias whereby at a very early age, we would justify our actions over those of others, even if they're the same actions in the same context. Because right. we would say, I did it. But I made it. I want to get home to, they did it because they don't want to sit at a red light, right? Like they cut me off because they're just want to get to McDonald's and get food. I actually am going to court because I'm an officer of the court, whatever. I mean, we just, we, this is a natural attribution. And if you play it out to the further extent combined with dehumanizing, it allows us very easily to say, if I was in Gaza, under these conditions, dehydrated, four hours to work, only one, uh, only uh, 25 of a set of 100 e can even work. There's no hope. There's no, there's, there's nothing. And I'm stuck here. I can't leave. Um, yeah, I, I probably would have tried to start a business, I guess. I would have reached out on the internet. I would have taken advantage of international aid. We, we imagine ourselves to be this holistic person who's really gonna struggle, but not making those desperate choices. And that's because without somebody guiding us to really vividly imagine the pain in a way that we can understand, we'll, we'll never cross the divide, the self-serving bias that, that just protects us from having to do this kind of hard work. Can I take the other side? And so it's just I wonder if if some of that is at play on October seventh for folks who went to a concert. Um, they left their homes, they left their families, they were going to have fun, they're dancing, and all of a sudden besieged. 
that what you talked about is happening behind and, and building and growing this this undercurrent or this unrest. Mm. Um, I hear that. And I wonder if part of that shock, this the shock and awe of the October 7th attack um, on the um, Israeli folks who were who, who were partying, who who didn't have that experience, who were just having fun. Uh, and many and then of all of us probably were very pro-Palestinian. I mean, we're, there's many, many Israelis who are just, yeah. let's solve this problem, not treat them this so, way. Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder if it caught folks and it catches the world off guard. So when mm. we're forced in those shock and awe moments like October 7th or, um, uh, you know, September 11th, when it's, in the, when it's in the heart of New York City, when it calls us to look really, really intensely mm. at the architecture of injustice behind something. So it calls us to look through this absolutely horrific event uh, that, that is the culmination of lots of injustice. It's like, um, mm. it's, it's, it's hard to process all of that at once. And many, many people are doing that. Maybe that's the first, that is the introduction to it for them. They are learning about injustice in terms of what happened in New York City or what happened at a uh, music concert and not having to look at what else is what else matters. Wait, do you th what, what do you think the result was of this event, though, uh, in October? Wasn't it was it the door opens and more people are looking at it or no, I, like what, I, what I think I think what happens, it's a pattern that we want to reset quickly because there's just so many eyes looking at it without a not, not enough avenues to process it. So it keeps us locked into this state of urgency without a lot of sense-making behind it. Oh, yeah, sense -making. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then we yep. nationally turn it off. We have yes. to then get on to the next thing. It's We've an election. It. Yes. It's not a threat. It's not a benefit to, an, right. to the regular American. It's neither. So. I want to watch something else like, like an election uh, Two old men, two really, really old people trying to run an empire, which is crazy. There, there's some, there's some, there's some absolute bizarre patterns that we get locked into when we are able to look away and then it's on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm wondering what the staying power. So going back to my friend who was at the gym, who can't wait for people to reach that I give up moment. I'm going to try something new, okay. new me, new year. Then I'm banking okay. that you fail. And when you fail, I hope that you'll quit so we can get back to normal. Okay. So Jake, the entire place is basically refugees from two decades of war. And since those two decades, there's been four decades of brutal, harsh mistreatment and dehumanization by a political party of the winning side. I know one thing, and it's what Jake said on a podcast that I listened to, and that is you need a flashpoint. The slow push on things isn't enough to capture human behavior because like Chris Jarvis said, we notice what's new in the environment. Is it a threat or a benefit? So we need to make a big flashpoint as best we can with whatever we can to get the world to notice us because we've been screaming at the top of our lungs for attention because we're being killed slowly and nobody cares. So this is what we're going to do. 
did you just recast that day in the category of reasonable force? Not denying the horror of it or anything around it, but is it now reasonable because it's taking into account the geopolitical nature of the situation and human tendencies? I have the privilege to never have had to think about it that way personally, right? So there's this quote mm -hmm. about who am I to judge how another person agitates for their own freedom. Um, and and, I, okay. and I, I, I think that comes out of sort of um, out of Jamaica. So I, so I, I still am there. I don't know that I have any right or license to be able to say, is that right or is that wrong? I, I just know that standing back, seeing it a bit removed, it's maybe not a bystander, but there is an audience that's trying to figure out. And I think we've been told that we have to pick a side instead of figure out what is actually happening like what's what's at risk here it is a justice problem largely but isn't that what mr coates was saying on that episode last episode yeah it was just look the black community has so much in common with the you know the jewish plight and the palestinian plight but now which side are we standing on aren't they enough in your in group that you have by nature of your own groups experience uh, for example the one group in the world that has the right to take israel to court would be south africa because they went through it looked it hard in the face went through all the hell of it and now they're like out the other end perfect no but they have a leg to stand on having had to do that internal national work um don't you also have a leg to stand on i don't think so um so south africa is interesting um comparator uh so i would i would agree with you not perfect and i and i do wonder about the positioning i do wonder about sort of there is um, a moralizing by getting there like i don't i'm not sure that all of the intention from what i've seen is um pure to bring it sometimes misery loves company if the the language of apartheid um starts to conjure up south africa wouldn't it be great for South Africa to make sure you have something else to think about? So, oh, so, I get the marketing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I do. I do get it. Um, so I'm not sure that it's all good, but but we do recognize some patterns of injustice from a human level. So when you talked about uh, our groupings, I I was imagining them like those nesting dolls or nesting tables, you know, the Russian dolls. Where I'm in Nova mm. Scotia, I'm in Canada, I'm in North America, I'm in and all of these constructs that we live in or or how we organize gives us more distance so the the more i can drill down and get micro i don't actually have to think about a human experience that actually takes away a lot of that like when i don't have to say i wonder what it must be like for humans in this moment because then i can start to imagine doing exactly what you're suggesting it it gets uh, our brains involved. It starts to focus in on the empathy. What do I do with how I'm feeling? I have to sense makes really quickly. This doesn't feel very good. So I either have to do something or turn away. I want to figure out how to get less geopolitical and more human. And because you, you've organized it in, in groups, and I don't know if that's right. I just know that that's where I'm struggling to say, what if I don't want to mm. take a side? Not because I'm afraid, like we talked about in the last episode about 
you know, you, you can't look at injustice and stay silent. Tanasi Coates says something to that effect. What if I, it's not that, but what if it's about trying to find where are the where are the similarities so that those those markers of common experience and shared experience that people are hurting. And when I hurt, I know what I tend to need. And I wonder if they need it. So you can, instead of saying, trying to figure out the what, it's, it's um, what do people need and how can I help? Is the reason you're coming to this because there was a flashpoint where a large amount of hurt was done in a short period of time? A, but a bit like 9-11 mm -hmm. versus a tremendous amount of hurt slowly doled out over a long period yeah. of time, which is four decades leading up to it or more, right? So because of the flashpoint, you're able to say, look, there's hurt on both sides. But if it was the slow buildup, I'd be surprised if you would apply the same approach to black-white conversations. Well, I'm a little bit closer to that, but I, I think, well, and but, this I think is Coates, but I think, but I think that's his point too, right? right? He's like, based on your ideology, you're close to the Palestinians too. Yeah. But I think the world has a flashpoint, you know, to, to the, to the really nice guy I talked to this last week was like, Hey, remember that black lives matter moment in time, mm. not as a, mm. not as a cry, not as a struggle, not mm. as a, a realization that people would have to wrestle to and then sort of um, set right the scales of injustice. Mm. It was like, a, oh, there was the flashpoint, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, it's like a season. It's a season. Um, yeah. And I and I'm trying to resist this being a season. There's lots of times where I don't turn my mind to Russia, Ukraine until I go back and go, Oh, there's injustice there too. Like there's lots of injustice. And then I'm I'm wondering about, well, if I look and find it everywhere, what what am I doing to myself? Well, that's what we're what doing. What am I doing to myself? Yeah. Yeah. Now I can't help get, anybody. Okay. So this is what I'm saying. The one thing that I never get tired of thinking about is my identity. Is there a way to bring through experiential learning a group into my identity enough and like the unhoused? I don't get tired of that topic. Right. I'm not unhoused and none of my relatives are. I've just, that was a big, that has been a big part of my life. And now I've adopted my identity. So anybody wants to bring it up, I'll read more information. I don't get the emotional exhaustion, right. this sense of, but because it's my identity, but I also have done enough work that I feel like I have agency. So if I want to do something in some way, I not only know what to do and how to do it, but I know what kind of meaning I could attribute to it. Am I solving the problem? No, I would never bring that meaning to it. But I know in this context, this behavior has this meaning, and that is a contribution. That is part of my who I am, and that's my identity. With the Palestinian-Israeli thing, no agency very little knowledge to know what to do in which particular context. It's a cr incredibly complicated um, with all people saying all things about all sides, whether they're part of it or not. And, I, and it's so far away. And I haven't done any in-group work with either right. group. So I don't feel like that's my people. So I do get tired. I'm like, too much, too far, not me, and no immediate relevance. So I have to, even though there's solidarity and humanity in the sense of even Justice League stuff, right? my version of that, I have to look away or I'm going to just lay in bed. I wonder if 
I was listening to you talk about that. And I, my first thought was scalable lessons. So, mm. uh, or scalable learning, right? So you're right. I have those pockets where I don't get tired. Uh, some of mm. some alignment in the same community. We spent a lot of time at the sunny suppers mm. uh, together. And there are just places um, where I want to dig in. I want to learn as much. Um, and maybe that's okay if not every place is that uh, playground of learning or that lab for you. Um, but you better have one and you better be able to take yeah. it somewhere else. And so to pull, pulling those out, I can see how lessons learned at the Sunday suppers help frame up for me my notions of justice, whether I'm working yeah. with uh, folks who yeah, in the cr criminal legal system or... Mm. Or if we're talking like these big ideas, neighbor, because that those were really important human lessons, human interactions that taught us how to connect with other people in ways that made sense. And yeah. so then it's just kind of scaling it. I, I wonder if that's what some of the next piece of work is to figure out where to go next. Right. So this takes us back to where to go next in the immediacy of my own sense of agency in my world that. I have from my own identity. There are these companies that will take hundreds of thousands of people out in the community. And, and if they just, if I could show them how to do it in a way that triggers this one thought to say, uh, what if that was me? What, right. what would it be like for me to be in that situation? And then give them enough experiences to grow the new neural pathways and then translocate that learning to what about this community and this issue? And that I think that's a small, scalable learning how to do it and then looking for opportunities to apply it. I would not begin necessarily with, you know, the issues happening in the Middle East right now. Right. Um, I would begin with the things that are naturally the closest thing to my identity, and that is in my neighborhood mm -hmm. or in my group or at my work where there's a strong sense of affinity, tag along and then think, I'm going to bring some goddamn intention to my life so that when I'm confronted with things like this, I don't automatically go to the overwhelm. I have a sense of agency, a sense of my own identity, and I can make some decisions about how to respond. I think that's right. Um, I think there's probably some something that we, we both believe in, that doing nothing yeah. is a problem. So when, yeah. whenever people stand back and say, it's not my responsibility, I don't, those folks are anathema to it. Like, I can't handle people who just say, not my problem. I'm not going to do anything. Oh, my God. I your life has that. no relevance. Right. Yeah, you're, you're, you are irrelevant. You're taking up space on the planet. Yeah, that's the unforgivable sin in my mind. I agree. So I think we both agree there, and we have those interactions and see folks like that. And it's not the... I haven't thought about that before. It's like there, there's some intention to it. It's, it is the mm. won't, not can't or haven't thought about it. It's the I won't do that. There's just not a lot of time for those folks. No. But there is something about what we believe will make a difference, I think, is, is shared, is that a more caring, connected community where we are paying attention to the other uh, more intentionally and and wrestling with that. So not just paying attention to the in-group, but paying attention to 
at least our relationship to groups that we don't have those markers of similarity, familiarity, right, and affinity. Right. Observable behavioral or physical markers. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're right up against them and we're saying, uh, don't look away, lean in, yeah. care. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. if you, if you care, it will likely, um, create these, these new pathways for you to understand the world. Well, ca caring comes as a result of imagining me as right. the person. So you, yeah. you, you can't do it without some proximity. So the, the you need, yes, it, it, mentalizing is good, mm -hmm. but it has to combine with some sort of task significance or activity. It, I can't think my way into new neural pathways. That's impossible. right. Which is why you do immersive learning. You don't just, yes, you right. don't bring them to a classroom and say, we're going to talk about unhoused folks where you say, we're going to go to the, the soup kitchen and you're going to meet Jake and yes. oh, why would I meet him? Because Jake has a name. Like you have a name. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah, think yeah, of yeah, people yeah, as had a name. I thought of the person like who has yeah. a sign and the sign says, I need food. Well, have you ever asked their name? So you, you create those, those ways where they can see each other on the most, that where they can exchange something. You can exchange yeah. a greeting. If you're comfortable, you can share your name. They will share their name likely. Uh, you can, and as you have those, Similar uh, contacts are like, oh, we are like, we are alike. Yes, I might I can, smile and they yes, might smile exactly. back at me. And I thought, yes. oh my God, I've never had someone smile at me who was homeless. Yeah. Um, because you didn't try I that first. I thought they were going to kill me. Right. So I, yep. so I wonder if that's maybe what we believe about the world is just more access to those moments and then scale them up. And if employee volunteering is done right, and there's a brief, and we talked about this uh, significance of the task, and we imagine what it would be like to be the other person, we have this experience, and then we resolve our disorienting dilemma what, through a what did you experience right. and what did you expect kind of question. And then we just throw in, and this is our offering to you to begin to have some agency to think about what is happening in the world to people what are people doing to people? What are they? And you can, you're going to begin to learn scalable skills that you're going to be able to translocate to other situations. Yeah. And you'll be surprised when it happens. But if you have the discipline to come back here and, and practice the behavior so that your brain can learn these methodologies and approaches, they then become tools that you can be, can use versus I just can't deal with it. And you right. shut down and life becomes smaller and smaller and safer and safer until you only mm -hmm. care about, you know, the game shows on in the afternoon while you drink your soup through a straw. One last reference to the gym, maybe taking the, the metaphor way too far. But that last piece that I thought about is then the value of having these guides, right? So if I don't yeah. go to the gym and I don't get hooked up with a trainer, a personal trainer, and I don't get someone to say, do this, I probably will quit and not do all of that work. So um, I think that yeah. might be the advice that I would give folks who are listening along to say, okay, I want to do that. I want to scale. Um, know that there are people who are already doing that. And it might be easier to join a journey with a guide to say, how do I do it? How did you do it? Uh, Mm -hmm. People who are not—they um, don't have to be experts, but just helpers in 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 making sense of it. Absolutely critical. And if 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 we're living our life without a sense of 
sharing what's kind of working or our questions right. with somebody else, then, then we're, we're probably not contributing at our highest level or it's something to look at. I mean, the season might preclude it. I don't know, but Hey, one, one thing before we close, I just want to go back. I said the, uh, unforgivable sin, unforgivable sin is, um, writing people off as irrelevant. And I just want to acknowledge that I'm not writing them off as irrelevant. I am just saying it becomes literally impossible to share insights or have an an interesting discussion with people who've already decided that their identity is not to be curious or not to be empathetic or like that they're, that they, that their identity is rage or anger or violence. And they reaffirm that on opportunities that they need to for a whole bunch of, I I do want to say very understandable, reasonable evolutionary reasons that have all gotten weirdly tied up in their life kind of thing. They're not irrelevant. I'm just saying that, um, the, that's not a great investment of our time at this point. You're far more charitable than I am. If you say you don't care, I believe you, and you are a threat to the work that I'm trying to do in terms of just relations in the world. I, I, don't, I agree with that. So, too. Like, no, I agree I'm done. Threat. I am done. If you tell me you don't care and all of your actions demonstrate you don't care, I will believe you. And then I'm done. Okay. Okay. We'll do good cop, bad cop if you want. I'm just always bad. I feel like I'm <laughs> always the bad guy. Anyway, it's a good chat. All right. All right. Thanks, Talk Jake. I, I appreciate this. I really did. I, I don't know if the listener is going to believe this, but I really did need to figure some of this stuff out. And I, and I appreciate your help doing that. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Okay. Talk soon. Okay. See you. Later.